We've all had personal experiences where something we own breaks or fails unexpectedly. Most of the time, the broken item is something easily repairable or replaceable. But what if that broken item was something critical that caused an entire network, production line, or building to stop functioning? Typically, an asset arrives from the OEM with the ability to provide internal data and alerts about its condition, but this data is limited to that one asset. But you are typically responsible for monitoring an entire floor or network of mixed assets from various OEMs. One asset generating information is easy to manage. However, hundreds or even thousands of assets providing simultaneous data from multiple OEM embedded tools becomes a significant challenge especially when these assets output and functionality are considered critical. The good news is that a comprehensive dashboard exists that allows asset monitoring and maintenance decision makers to gain a holistic view of all assets rather than piecing together data from siloed views. However, optimizing your asset performance through a dashboard takes the right blend of tools, technology, and expertise. Hi, I'm Jay Serval, an enterprise architect with Capgemini. And welcome to our AI application podcast series. In this episode, we are joined by two Capgemini critical asset monitoring experts who will discuss the challenges of leveraging technologies, processes, and most notably, the right data to monitor. Each will also share their best practices for organizations that envision in an environment where critical assets operate at peak performance. Today, we are pleased to welcome John Chrome, a principal with Capgemini Invents Energy, Utilities, and Chemicals Practice, who has over 30 years experience in exploration and production. Welcome, John. Great to have you with us today. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and your expertise? Well, Jay, it is fantastic to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. My name is John Chrome. I've got 32 years of oil and gas experience and uh, mostly upstream and midstream. I was the former global head of operations, maintenance, and improvement for a well-known global mining and petroleum organization. And I'm just thrilled to talk about um, performance today. Thanks, John. And returning to the AI application podcast series today is Sarah Stewart, a principal within Capgemini Invent that leads the North American Enterprise Asset Management Practice. Thanks for joining us again, Sarah. Could you share a bit about your expertise with us as well? Hey, Jay. Thanks so much for having me back. So I have been doing maintenance my entire career, started as a lieutenant in the Army, where we used uh, clipboards and books to keep track of maintenance. And I'm super excited as technology has evolved over the years that we now can put a sensor on an asset and hear its heartbeat and know if that asset is failing. So I'm super excited to talk with everybody today. Thanks, Jay. Great to have you with us, Sarah. So along the same lines, thinking about the introduction, what business challenges do you think these new technologies can help overcome? Sarah? Yeah, Jay, I think the number one challenge could be eliminating or mitigating safety and risk. And when you replace a physical person to go around to do an inspection on assets that are in remote locations or in hazardous places, you always introduce a safety risk. And I think that these technologies can eliminate that risk and let the sensor express the health of an asset. And then you have that person do more of a value added 
role and do an analysis of the data, really delve into what is the problem or what is coming from that asset, maybe an anomaly in the behavior of that asset. So I think that that is one of the key challenges that these technologies can enable. John? So um, one of the challenges today is all the edge devices in the field typically have a lifespan um, and updating their uh, their processors uh, isn't always that easy. So over time, one year into the service of the uh, equipment or five years in, they just don't get the upgrades they need to maximize or increase performance. So, you know, IoT and things like that allow for all this great new knowledge that we're gaining every year, every every decade to be reformatted and pushed into upgrades, um, literally at the flick of a switch. So I think to a degree that also helps offset a touch of obsolescence that always occurs on these field edge devices. Uh, of course, the hardware is still always going to be a problem, but in terms of the software, it gives you many more options. And then the last challenge, of course, is typically when you think about IoT, you're, ta- you're also talking about wireless as well. And, and wireless on its own just has a tremendous advantage to get away from cabling and and things like that, which can be a substantial cost in any large new facility. That makes great sense. So what are the prerequisites to make using an asset performance management solution successful? And how does using IBM Maximo application suite enable this? So Jay, if you think about all this potential for data coming from these assets that have heartbeats, that have data that they can send somewhere, they don't have to send it, but they can send somewhere. And this data, I think of it as kind of barrage. You're just getting thrown all this stuff at you and it's coming at you from all different places potentially. And to make an asset performance monitoring solution effective and get you the information that you need to know about these assets, you've got to have rigor and governance around your data. You've got to determine what is the master data set? Where is that master data set stored and controlled? And then the ancillary information can come in and supplement that master data set. But too often, you'll see a GIS system being the owner of an asset or a EAM solution like Maximo being the owner of the data set, but those two systems collide. So first and foremost, you've got to say, what is my master data? And then IT and OT has got to combine to determine what is it that we need to monitor about this asset. What are the critical pieces of information about that asset that we must collect? And once those pieces of information are in place, then you can go and start developing your fancy algorithms. You can connect more assets. You can add on additional sensors and just keep building upon the foundation of the master data, the foundation of the baseline algorithms or pieces of information that you're going to capture and then just keep building upon that. Uh, I do like that. I'll, I'll go in a slightly different direction, though. So I think one of the, um, the, the key prerequisites, enablers, is partly philosophical, but it's heavily driven by the technical. And that is coming to terms with precisely how much information a company or a facility feels comfortable sharing in this connected world. Um, so much of the edge devices, the data that's gathered, particularly uh, in high-risk applications like offshore or um, 
refineries is also related to the safety systems. So adding a, a level of connectedness poses an additional risk. This risk, of course, can be mitigated with good cyber practices and other techniques. But ultimately, an organization has really got to feel at peace with that decision to use IoT because there is a small risk there. Any compromise to the safety system for any reason as a part of IoT you know, could be a bad thing. So they've just got to do the proper analysis. And again, it can be done, but they've got to come to terms with that. Well, and, and John, I think this is where the IT and the OT convergence needs to happen because typically the cyber rules, the firewall and all that falls underneath the IT governance. And it's super important for organizations to work collectively as a team because a lot of times the OT, the operations guys will have OEMs come to them and say, hey, I'll collect all this data for you. I'll throw it in your cloud. You can you know, you can uh, see this great things about it and they kind of bypass the security measures for the organization. So ensuring that those teams are working together and for sure having the cyber gurus involved in the discussion um, is, is super, super important um, in this entire ecosystem. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So another concept is life cycle. So how can the full life cycle of an asset be continuously improved using and applying technology enablement tools such as these? So as I said earlier, Jay, to me, it's exciting that all this stuff has evolved and every day it, it keeps growing and growing and getting better. And, you know, none of us have crystal balls. Some of us may think we do. And some of us may be better at predicting the future than others. But what's important when you're choosing to embark on a program like this and you develop that strategy, you involve the IT folks and the cyber, but you're going to come up with a roadmap and you've got to acknowledge that as technologies change, the technologies that are going to evolve. And so you've got to revisit that roadmap. And it's not just a once and done, okay, here's my five-year plan. And this is what, where we're going to go. So um, I think it's super important. You know, none of us, when we were asked when we were younger, hey, what are you going to do in five, 10, 15 years? We could make that stuff up. But if we went back to that time and said, well, okay, I was going to be a doctor. Well, I'm not a doctor. So I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we can put down a roadmap, but we are going to reevaluate that and we need to constantly evolve the process and pull in the newer technologies. So that's really how the asset will get more and more benefit in its life cycles as these technologies change and we allow our organization to change with the technologies. One of the things I think about when we talk about life cycle is that it's most fundamental for um, particularly complex equipment, complex machinery, is how do we extend the actual useful life of a piece of equipment? And there's real tangible benefits to that, of course. Lower CapEx is you don't have to replace something. Typically, a longer piece of equipment that lasts longer has a lower maintenance cost and usually a total, uh, a smaller total cost as well. So let's talk about how we actually extend equipment life with some of these great technologies, whether it's um, IBM's Maximo, IBM's uh, AI as well, consider capturing all the data uh, on the same types of pumps in a company. And a company is global, company's regional, and it's got hundreds of pumps in, in the uh, facilities that they own. And those pumps are similar, similar enough in a similar duty cycle, similar environment, similar fluids and things of that nature. 
So you've got 200 experiments going on concurrently to evaluate what is the most effective maintenance strategy to extend the life of those particular pumps. And out of those 200, there is going to be a winner. Somebody's doing something in this 200 that extends it more than the other 199. And making sure that we well document that stuff in the system like Maximo and then turning our collective wisdom uh, augmented by um, artificial intelligence and advanced analytics can help us figure out what was the most effective and efficient maintenance practices. Once we learn that, we can deploy that to the other 199 and you've made a substantial impact in your business. Yeah. And John, I think that you didn't directly state it, but when you were speaking, I thought of that one individual that does the maintenance better than anybody else. And that person has documented the steps very clearly what that person did. But I also think about the impact of weather and weather conditions. And so IBM owns the weather company now, and we can definitely include weather. When I worked in the steel mill, it was 115 degrees in our electric art furnace in South Alabama in the summer. And those assets that were in there were probably never tested to be run in that kind of condition. And so being able to incorporate and ingest that weather data into that AI algorithm, I think is super, super important too. So we have the ability to use weather as one of those data inputs and the temperature and the you know, barometric pressure or any of those kind of things, the humidity. So I think those are other data sources too that we can now pull into this mix to determine or to see what, you know, what was the best maintenance for an asset. And I, IBM is in a particularly advantageous position because of all the tools and, and systems that it has at its disposal, where you can certainly connect Maximo with some of the, um, the monitor uh, tools as well, and many of the other applications, and weave it all together with a big uh, artificial intelligence effort, and you can come up with some powerful improvements for your particular business. So as you wrap up a final question for both of you, where do you see this technology evolving in the next 10 to 20 years? So um, I'm a big science fiction fan. And um, some of the things I think about in the workplace show up also on the silver screen. So you think about Tom Cruise in the early portions of Minority Report. And he's got all these visualization windows. And he's kind of um, swiping left and swiping right and looking through data. And he's speaking to some form of, you know, some kind of um, AI uh, voice as well. And to a degree, I kind of think that's where we're headed. But I think, you know, if you look even past that, the amount of human intervention is going to get a lot smaller. So each of these devices, application systems is going to get smarter on its own. And then we're going to learn how to connect them to each other. And all the, the, the typical decisions an engineer makes today or a technician or operator makes today, think about those decisions. And ultimately, we're going to learn how to better codify them. So ultimately, I think these are going to be a, a bigger system of integration where you're going to see more and more of the machines do more and more of not just the data gathering, not just the analysis. We're going to give them permissions over time um, after trusted learning experiences to make decisions and to act in our best interest. And I think these systems are just at the beginning of that. Well, I'm just mentioned not having the crystal ball. And for me, it's just the desire to have data, have it help us make better decisions. And I also think with the evolution of 5G and the, the ability to 
be able to capture more data and get more data and have it, you know, instead of a two lane highway with 5G, we now have a six or 12 lane highway. So we can just have a bombarding of even more data that it's now even more important to see and to get us back to the zero accidents and really keep everyone safe in these in environments that um, historically have not always been as safe. Um, I know that wasn't an answer to where are they going to evolve, but I think that they are going to evolve. Just the acknowledgement that things are going to change is, is very exciting and um, being fluid and having an organization that embraces the change is super important. That's really great insight. And a big thank you to John and Sarah for joining us today. And thank you, the listeners. Hopefully you found it valuable. If you're interested in learning more, visit us at capgemini.com and be sure to look for additional podcasts in our AI application podcast series. This is Designing Momentum, a podcast from Capgemini. Designing Momentum is a show about what it takes to build and maintain momentum in business. When the odds are against you, how do you forge your own path? Original ideas very rarely come from looking in the same place as you always look. So in this show, we'll be turning the spotlight in a different direction that you wouldn't necessarily think to look. Hosted by me, Frank Wammers, and with the help of Rachel Burford, International Women's Rugby World Cup winner, and experts in emerging technology in sport, we'll be exploring why what goes on in the boardroom isn't so different to what happens on the pitch. Make sure you subscribe now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.